to the Urban's Aqua podcast, It's Your Water. I'm Denise Urban's. I'm Michael Urban's, and we're happy you found us. Today, we're going to discuss some important guidelines for treating PFOA and PFOS compounds with activated carbon. So how about we start with a short background on these contaminants, Mike? Well, let's start by going to discuss some acronyms, big bad acronyms. PFOS, PFOA, ASAP. ASAP, yeah, right. Yeah, ASAP, because this is a very important subject. And if you're a water treatment professional, unless you lived on a desert island somewhere, you've probably heard all about polyfluoroalkyl substances in water. Polyfluoroalkyl, that's why we, the acronyms, which, you know, are the PFOS, PFOA, just big long names, so we have to cut it down. They're everywhere. It's in everything. And what are they? Well, it's ingredients in fire foam, nonstick pans, waterproof fabrics. It's now in your water. So is your water waterproof? <laughs> <laughs> it just occurred to me. <laughs> I don't know. I wonder if your water can be waterproof. Uh, I guess if you have well, enough, if you have enough in, of it there, in there, it'll stand it just, up by itself. You don't get wet. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so. you know, you take a shower and it just ricochets right off of you. <laughs> so, I, this is I, soap work. It just, just occurred to me. Okay. So, but all kidding aside, we're going to share some tips to help get it out. Keeping this topic short, non-complicated for podcast purposes, we're going to discuss the removal of PFOA, PFOS, not the chemistry behind it. We could go on for hours with the, the chemical chains, where it came from, how it's created, and the bad guys that put it in the groundwater. But what I'm going to discuss here is more of the physical equipment to remove it and a little chemistry too. All right. So let's give us just a little chemistry. Yeah. What happens is there's, there's two different types, really. There are long chain and short chain PFOS. So long chain are the PFOA and the short chain are PFAS. So it's the chemical chains that make them up Look it up and you'll see what I mean by chem if you truly want to dig in on this. But what we're trying to say is the short chain are the buggers to remove. So you really got to get the short chain ones right. And the short chain are commonly ID'd as Gen X, which is North Carolina, a lot of that in North Carolina, and PFBA. But there's a ton of variations if you look how it's down the chemical chain. But really think of it this way. Just a good uh, way to, to remember this. If you walk a bad dog, you keep him on a short chain. The short chains are the bad stuff. Yes. Okay. So now that we have the background, how do we treat it? Well, as if anything in a water treatment process, it's choosing the right equipment. You really got to get it right because you're dealing with someone's health care. I mean, health care, health care. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, drilled into our brains. But you're, you're dealing with people's health. So, you know, to get it right is critical. And especially when you're treating water for the PFOA and PFOS. What media are we using to remove it? Well, 
That's the critical part. Right for this discussion, we're going to talk about activated carbon. Okay. Now, there's ion exchange resin, but that's a whole different animal, and we got a podcast here. Oh, a different here. podcast, right? And, but really, my expertise has been really just treating it with activated carbon, and that's my experience. So what I'm going to do is some bullet points on what to really remember when you're treating with activated carbon. So after about four years experience, as I explained, treating the PFAS, which is, you know, all of the compounds, here's what I found. Use only a coal-based carbon that's been reglomerated. Now, that's a big word, and I'll go through that. Do not use a coconut shell-based carbon. Coal-based, yes. Coconut, no. Okay. So not just any carbon will work, or will they work a little or a lot? Or what's the difference? Why is one better than the other? The difference is coconut shell is a crop. So what happens is you have inconsistencies from year to year. A crop, of course, was there a drought? Was there a bad year? Where a coal-based can be mined from several different seams and then reagglomerated. It's pulverized and put back together to make consistent lots from year to year to year to year. So there's no influence. So okay. they can design a carbon more easily with coal. They really can't do it with coconut shell because the physicality of the carbon of coal mm-hmm. doesn't lend itself to reagglomeration. Of coconut, doesn't it? Yeah, of coconut, coconut, sorry. Um, but I, I do have another question regarding that, going off script just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, the coconut has small pores and the coal has, uh, from what I understand, a wider variety of pores. Does that influence how well it removes? Yeah, you want a higher pore structure, like more, as our Calgon person explained, you want more parking lots. And so the more parking lots you have in the carbon, the easier, I mean, the more efficiently and more capacity you have. But the problem is with coconut shell, there's a lot of parking lots but not enough roads, clear enough roads so to the, get you to the parking lots. Okay, where so that it's small roadways. Or you're going on a back road instead of I-95. Yeah, maybe one, one year they have a lot of pathways to mm-hmm. get to your parking lots. Okay. And the next year may not be enough. So that's the big issue with coconut shell. Everybody was told over the years that coconut shell is a premium product. In some instances it is. But when you're doing critical applications, you need a carbon that is consistent. And now I'm going to drive that home. For those of you using coconut shell, I would suggest you change it out very often, more often than it needs, or don't use it. Are you saying for PFAS and PFOID? Yeah. You can use it, but just don't wait. Don't let it hang around. You got to change it out more often. Than yeah, because coal. it breaks gotcha. through. Breaks gotcha. through sooner. And when you don't want breakthrough. So now we know what type of carbon to use. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about how, how we, we deal with the equipment. It. What do we do? What are the rules? I'm sure you have rules. Well, there's a lot of stuff here. Not terribly a lot, but bullet points here. When you design a carbon adsorber, they typically look like your typical water treatment fiberglass tank with carbon in it. But some people want to backwash. You do not backwash this carbon. It's downflow, service cycle only. So your tanks are not to be backwashed. 
you can precondition the carbon by wetting the carbon and blowing the water out before you go to the job site, about 12 hours. You want to pre-wet the carbon because carbon has a ton of oxygen in it. Think of it as a sponge, kind of. So it has to expel that oxygen to open the parking lots. So you wet it down. Yeah, the parking lots are full of oxygen and you want them full of water. Mm -hmm. So that's the transport pores. The reason why is if during backwash you're fluffing the bed up and you don't want to disturb the bed getting bad carbon mixed with good carbon or spent carbon mixed with the virgin carbon. You could do that, and you don't want to flip the bed over and over. That's that's bad. Well, in general, that's the way we do it. We don't backwash whenever we're moving VOCs, VOCs or, and yeah, other contaminants. Organics. Yeah, and backwashing also. Most valve manufacturers allow raw water to escape during the backwashing cycle. Really? So what if yeah? So what if you had a leaking toilet in a house, or someone got up in the middle of the night, flushed the toilet, or drank water? during the backwash cycle, they're going to get raw right. water. Right. So this is the next thing, which is the design aspect of okay. it. Okay. Is a lead tank and a lag tank, which is, we call it the worker tank is the first tank, and then the guard tank is mm-hmm. the second you tank. Lead, lag, guard, yeah. Lead, lag. So you want to have sample ports pre to see, you know, your incoming level, post first tank, to determine when that first tank is going to break through. And then downflow, you don't need a sample port. You just use the kitchen sink. So you have first tank, second tank. And then after that, of course, you're running them downflow. And you will have a install a totalizing water meter. That's a $95 expense. If retail people are looking and listening here, it's $200 yeah. for the meter. So you install a water meter. Because the water meter is critical because how much water is passed through these, who who knows? I mean, now here's the other thing. People say, oh, no, I have a, a water softener with an electronic meter. I'll just go into the diagnostics and see how much water went they used in the house. What if someone accidentally resets the meter? It happens all the time. Electric failure, someone reset the meter, you're screwed. So you got to have a clunky old totalizing water meter like you would have on a municipal system. Well, while we're on that topic, before you leave that topic, how do we know how long it's going to last? Are there any rules of thumb for how long will the carbon last in that lead tank? Well, that's a real dart on the wall there. If you size it right, there is no real formula. But what you can do is you would test for the total organic carbon, TOC. Another acronym. Yes. Yes. Whenever I can do that, TOC is total organic carbon. That is the biggest competitor, the invisible competitor. Now, it could be visible as tannins, but TOC can actually be a, an invisible thing. Think of it as all the dead bodies in the water. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. yeah. And it's really, it's carbon. Yeah. You know, it's organic. It's organic matter, but it's spent algae tannins, which are lignans and humic acids and things like that, frog poop. But (laughs) so, yeah, if you have a spring. So that competes hugely for carbon sites. So whenever you get a test done, you're doing any kind, any kind of carbon removal that's critical or volatile organic with carbon removal. 
get a TOC test. Most labs will do it. So what's a lot of TOC? Two to three parts per million, one part per million. That's well, a how lot. How does that, okay, why is that important for this application and the breakthrough topic? Because you're using up too many seats on the bus. Oh, okay. So, you know, it takes up a lot, a lot of competition. So if you're getting you breakthrough want... on TOC, that means the... Uh... yeah. You don't want us. They're they're not sticking at all, huh? Right, and it's just it's really going to use up your capacity. So we'll just review here. I'm just looking through some notes. If you're you have your lead lag, Mm -hmm. totalizing water meter, you tested for your TOCs. I kind of beat around the bush about the capacity question because that's coming up a little bit if it's sized right. Where do we install this in in the treatment chain? People ask me that if they have a water softener, an acid neutralizer, iron filter. UV light. They say, where's this go? First, second, third? Think of this as your last. You want clean, bad water going into your carbon. You want to remove all of the other competitors, Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. Anything that's in there, you want to remove except your ultraviolet. Ultraviolet in all instances, UV light would be last because that is your guard against any contamination that you may have had in the carbon or in your salt and your softener, or your calcite and your neutralizer, you can have bugs there. So you want your UV light always last, and with a decent pre-filter of five microns. So that's important. So consider a cartridge filter somewhere in the line. If you don't have pre-treatment, put a cartridge filter, pre-filter, because that's a sentinel to crud in your water. It will tell you like, wow, you have a big problem. That's what's killing your carbon. So if you have a pre-carbon cartridge filter, you can take that down in six months or a year when you change your carbon out and you say, whoa, look how bad this pre-filter is. I better get, I'm killing my carbon here. Are you talking about municipal water? Well, yeah, it's a good question. You should always have a cartridge pre-filter. Yes. Even if, yes, indeed, there is PFAS in municipally treated water. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, that's uh, people are like, wait a minute, you know, I pay for that water. And it's not their fault. It's not their fault. It's this, they're from their wells, and now they're testing in the parts per trillion. They're finding this PFAS everywhere. So you should always have a a cartridge pre-filter. Regardless of the water source. Yep. Gotcha. The oddball thing that people don't do, and this is in city water. Here's the situation. Test for pH. People are like, what? pH, why? Well, of course, it's going to corrode the plumbing in the house. But if you have low pH, there's a little dark secret with activated carbon. It can have, in the coal, there can be locked up iron in there. It's naturally carrying iron. And even the activation process doesn't really drive it out. So you can have low pH, what's pH, anything below seven, but really what we're talking about below six can drive iron out of the carbon and people get staining and you test the water. There's no iron on the inlet and I got iron afterwards. What's going on, Mike? Well, you have low pH, so you got to correct your pH to neutral before applying carbon or use a pre-acid washed carbon, which adds a lot of expense. So if you think you have a low pH water, You want to correct it, first of all. Then you'll be fine. Or if you can't correct it, like we had on a city water job, Mm -hmm. there was a city water with low pH in this day and age with lead remediation. It blew my mind. The carbon started 
dumping a lot of, so what they had to do, a lot of iron, so what they had to do is rebed it with a pre-acid washed carbon. Oh. They rinse out the bad guys, the iron out. So that's really important. But you say, how large, how do we know? Yeah, how do we know how big? I mean, you go from a, how big you know, a six bedroom, size? five bath home versus a small. It's, just, it's, another, it's another acronym. It's called EBCT. Ah. Empty bed contact. contact right. Empty bed contact time, which is a formula which is found on our website. I know. Urbanzaco.com. Yeah. Look at that. Look for the empty bed contact sizing. Seven to 15 minutes. Sounds huge. And you're like, well, it is. A seven minute, let's put it this way. Seven minute empty bed contact time comes out to one cubic foot per gallon a minute service flow rate. You're like, whoa, wait yeah, a minute. Really? Every, every house is going to... Gonna have this massive tank massive in the... seven cubic foot because most houses can peak out at seven gallon a minute. Sure. So think of it as the time the water passes through the carbon. It's a calculation of how fast the carbon can absorb the contaminant. Okay. You go too fast, you Flip squeak right through. It'll squeak through a percentage. Mm-hmm. And in critical means, you don't want a percentage of anything getting through your carbon. Now, here's the weird part. When a home is running, the empty bed contact time might be five hours. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, nobody's home all day. So you're running, you take showers in the morning, run and make a coffee, blah, blah, blah. Then everybody's gone. So that carbon, that water is sitting in these mm-hmm. vessels. It's got a five-hour contact a, time. Having a ball, yeah. it, it removes it. It's tricky for a home. Just look at the most important thing in a home that I've found is modern homes all have low flow fixtures. And so they all have low flow water fixtures. So if you're going three quarters of a gallon a minute, one and a half gallons a minute for a shower. So it's it's very, it's a lot lower than you think. It's just when the people are peak and home from work, going to work. Every, that's when the water really, really flows. Mm-hmm. So most of the homes that we find have four cubic feet. That's the happy place, and huh? And w- when where I was going, that's the happy place. Two 10, 54 tanks with two cubic feet, two yeah. cubic feet. Jam full. We see, that. We see pull. that all the time. Yeah. But where people get screwed up is if you have a big house, soaking tubs, those big tubs that everybody loves. They can fill at seven gallons a minute. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have, they don't use the restriction. I don't know, there's some. You empty out your water heater too. Yeah, probably a clause in there <laughs> that they don't have to be low flow, flow fixtures because you're in a soaking tub. But man, I call them the body wash showers. Yes, there are people with luxurious showers that have 25 shower heads in there. Yeah. And it, it looks like a car wash. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's so the weirdest thing on the planet. I'm, I, I don't get it. But not man, your thing, huh? I know. No. I've seen them. I'm like, are you kidding me? But right now they can wash vegetables in there to keep the uh, right. COVID-19. We're, we're date stamping this. You can do this. bushels of vegetables. Yeah, but you bushels of vegetables. You can do it for your neighbors. And, yep. Yeah. yeah, you won't have PFAS on there. No. But, you know, <laughs> That'll uh, be good water. Yeah, it be good water. So... High-end fixtures, you got to be really careful with that. And then some well systems have constant pressure well pumps in them. And there are variable frequency drives that will give you city water pressure. They can really flow some water 
at higher pressures, but mm-hmm. it's still governed by the fixtures. By the fixture itself. So that's really just a synopsis is coal-based mm-hmm. reglomerated carbon only, no backwashing at all, lead tank, lag tank, water meter. Can I stop you right yeah. there? On Now, the time's up. The totalizing meter says, you know, you might want to change this now. Mm-hmm. How do we change it? What What are we doing? Do we put a new lead lag in or how do oh, we do okay. that? Well, that's the thing what they do is why they do a lead lag tank. They'll switch the lag tank back to the lead tank. He's drawing tank. pictures here. Yeah, I got to <laughs> make sure, you know. So the guard tank comes back to the worker tank and the worker tank goes back to the lag tank fresh. So you always put your fresh carbon second, you move the right. the other the guard tank back. So after you install it's, you're the rotating two tanks, tanks, then after that you're only ever bringing one, one tank and that tank, fresh yeah. tank always goes into spot number 1. No, spot number 2. Spot number 2. Fresh tank is always the the guard tank. Gotcha. Yeah. And then you flip that back around. But Really, you're thinking, well, how long is this? What's the pain of this? Am I going to go two years, three years, five years? No. Yeah, really. Carbon can actually build up bacteria in it. It's not like harmful, you know, but it, it can get gooey mm-hmm. in those tanks. So two years is, I would say, you know, you have the risk of that. So you, yeah. you really want to, even though you have your UV light after this thing, mm-hmm. You could just build up biomasses in there. So maybe you change it out. If you're a dealer, you just say to your customer, One we want to change years. it. We want to change mm-hmm. the whole kit and caboodle for. And you don't want the carbon years. to become heavily contaminated either. Right. So that's the most important thing. Okay, but so uh, sorry, I interrupted you. You you left off at you yeah. Install the totalizing well, meter. That's why you're there. So you have the UV light we talked about, total organic carbon, test for that pH and uh, total organic carbon and consider a cartridge pre-filter in your empty bag contact time on urbansaqua.com. Right, What's yeah. that, Micopedia? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it's in Micopedia, yeah. yeah. So I'll have to check that. So I hope we've answered some questions you might have. Remember, we don't deal with the general public if you are listening, thank you for listening. But if you have questions, talk to your local water treatment dealer or your plumber or well driller. Give them a call and we'll be happy to help them. Because again, we, we can't possibly support the general public. Thanks everybody for listening in. To it's your water. Thanks everybody. Thanks.